Listen, as we get into this sermon today, I think uh, <laughs> many parts of it they already touched upon. But it's also a sermon about self-examination. It's a sermon about looking at those areas in our life that's hard to look at. About being, all right, <laughs> escape with Jimmy. There you go. Missing an awesome sermon. No, but, but anyway, so listen, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, God often wants us to take a look at ourselves. And he does that because he cares, man. Amen. Cares. You know, it's a blessing to sit here and listen to them and their testimonies because you see God's hand moving in their life. You see the power of God in action. You actually see them living in the world. Oh, excuse me, the world. In the word, not in the world. Amen. Not in the world. And not just talking about it. They're actually doing it. And that's praise God for that. We all know, you know, where it begins with this relationship with Christ, we all know that sometimes it takes being in a dark place where you feel there's no hope, where you feel where the walls are closing in, when you know you're out of options and you and you got no help coming, when you know you can't do it in your own strength anymore. Sometimes it takes tragedy and hardship and struggles to wake us up to realize that our abilities, our survival skills, our pride is not enough. We know that there's more. Sometimes it's when we're staring death in the face. Somebody said what they overdosed eight times. It's when you're staring death in the face. You have to deal with your own mortality that you start considering God. Start considering that there's more than our eyes see. Sometimes it's when we're feeling alone and there's little hope. And all avenues are exhausted, no more help. On the bottom of what we would call a personal pit, that we start to finally cry out and seek God because we know there's no one coming. We know every relationship we've had that's trusted us, we've blown up, we've thrown a hand grenade in, and no one's coming to help because they don't want to hear it anymore. And we cry out to God. And you know what happens when we cry out to God? The Bible Bible says when you seek God, what? You'll find him. But when you find him, he does this and he points to his son, Jesus Christ. I want to clarify something today that can be very confusing to people. And I want to clarify because I believe the confusion I refer to is actually promoted by the enemy, the devil. And it may seem like sometimes it's coming through the culture and the society, but I will guarantee you that this confusion I'm talking about starts with a lie that comes out of the pit of hell. And the confusion I'm talking about is in regard to this one question. What is a Christian? In perspective, the Bible tells us that we are in this spiritual battle. The wage is all around us and that we have an enemy and it's the devil. And he's the enemy of God and we are created the image of God. And he's our enemy, too. And he will do everything in his power to stop us from being true followers of Jesus Christ. 
He'll do everything in his power to stop us from hearing about Christ. Then he'll do everything in his power to stop us from following Christ. He'll stop us or try to stop us from being biblical Christians. And his weapons that he uses are to instill fear, to create doubts, and let, even less obvious, to take the truth, man, and to mix it with lies. To use false teachers under his influence to point us in the wrong direction. To try to tell us what's right when it's not right. To tell us what's righteous when it's not righteous. To tell us our actions are okay when they're not. He'll take the truth and he'll mix it with lies when it comes to having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in this, in this area, the enemy has had some success. First of all, one of his greatest achievements is he's convinced people he doesn't exist. But secondly, he's convinced some people that they're Christian when they're not. Neither one of those categories, there are eternal consequences that are certainly negative. See, to believe that one is in good standing with God, believing that heaven, heaven awaits. And when you die and you close your eyes for the final time and you take your last breath and you open them up to an eternity separated from God, suffering. is horrendous and you didn't expect it. See, because when, you're di- when you die and you're in that position and you think you're good standing with God and you're not, you think you're a Christian and you're really not, the father of lies wins. How do you come against confusion? How do you come against lies? You come against it with the truth of God. Amen. You come against it with biblical truth. And let's start here. Something we all know. John three sixteen. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. Amen. God sent his son into the world. Not to judge the world but to save the world through him. And here's another truth about when Christ was coming back and the apostles were defending themselves. Because people are like, yeah, well, where is he? You said he was coming back. In 2 Peter 3, 9, he said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise to some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So we know that Christ came down and he paid the price for sin on the cross and he shed his blood so there was forgiveness available and he's slow to coming back because he wants everyone to repent and to come to him. This is the godly truth that without Jesus Christ, we cannot be reconciled to God. This is why God points to Jesus, because Jesus was his plan. Because sin entered the world. The price needed to be paid and Christ paid it. We can't have that relationship with God that God desires. Let me say that again, that God desires. It's not about us. It's about what God desires. What God desires is a relationship that only comes through the blood of his son in his sacrifice. But having said that, we need to be aware right now that we live in a world where the lies from the pit of hell are trying to get people to doubt that. 
Important for us to understand what constitutes being a true follower of Jesus Christ, not only for our own standing with God, but when we talk to other people about God, when we talk to other people about Jesus Christ, because I believe as followers of Christ, frankly, we're too dismissive. We can be so quick to say someone's in the family when the fruits of their life say the opposite. And on the opposite side of that coin, I also believe that sometimes we can fall into judging someone's hearts by how they live or the struggles they're going through or on our sin scale. Let me ask you, if you're up at the Providence Rescue Mission, if you're in the streets and you're up there preaching and someone approaches you, someone who's homeless, someone who's surviving day to day, someone who's dirty, maybe they have odor, maybe they haven't showered, and they come to you and they start talking about Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you buy that or you dismiss it? Do you write them off because of how they look and what they're going through and how can they be Christian? Be careful. What about the heroin addict who's struggling with putting the needle in their arm and they're proclaiming Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and they're struggling? Do you write that off? Well, the addict, they can't possibly be a Christian. Be careful. I learned a long time ago, and you know what honestly tweaks me, what honestly scares me, what honestly I, I, I question is when I'm talking to somebody and they have all the right answers all the right times. They carry their Bible in a perfect way. They're always made up and they're always look like, you know, they're always put together and then all their actions and their words are in opposition to Jesus Christ. And you see that in the church. I'm going to appeal to you right now. If you are a brother and sister of Jesus Christ and you see that in other people, do not accept it. Call it out. We accept everything. And we shouldn't. We're not supposed to. We're supposed to be on guard against that. Not accepting of it. What is that for us, Bob? Little yeast leavens the whole loaf. You start letting a little bit in and it grows. And then all of a sudden what they're doing that is wrong and they keep, you know, they're they're bragging about it. Other people start doing. It's not okay. If you see it, call it out. Listen, the truth is this. You could have all the Bible knowledge in the world. You can actually be a theologian. And I'll tell you right now, you're a theologian. You're going to have some people worshiping you, not Christ. I've seen it. You're talking about pastor worship. I've seen it. You're talking about, oh, he's an awesome teacher. I'm only going to his class. I've seen it. It's not about people. It's about Jesus. We need to worship Jesus. We need to worship the word of God and Jesus Christ and God alone. You could be the greatest theologian and not be a Christian. Which brings me back to the question, what's a Christian? 
You know, today Christianity is a term that's been so watered down and used in so many ways. And it refers to someone a lot of times who's just religious. Doing things, going through emotions, saying the right things because they're expected to. But being religious doesn't make you a Christian. It's important, too, to understand that going to a church and attending church regularly doesn't make you a Christian. But I will say, if you're a true Christian, there's going to be a desire to attend church regularly in fellowship. But that doesn't make you a Christian. Doing work at the church doesn't make you a Christian. Helping those who are hurting more, giving the shirt off your back to somebody, dragging them out of the gutter and nursing them back to the health does not make you a Christian. Makes you a good person. Doesn't make you a Christian. At the core, a true Christian is a person who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who died on the cross for the sins of the world, died on the cross for their sins. It's a person who believes that he rose on the third day conquering death. A true Christian realizes that they are a lost sinner who needs a Savior. A true Christian is a person who has received the Holy Spirit, who is living inside of them, and they are now sealed as a child of God. A true Christian has received the gift of eternal salvation. A true Christian, when they look in the mirror now, can stand there and see themselves washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, and their past is not dictating their future because they're not defined by it anymore. They are defined by Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. A true Christian wants to know the Lord, wants to follow him, wants to be obedient to his word. The Bible tells us that when we become true Christians, that we are new creations in Christ, that we see the world through the eyes of Jesus Christ now, that we have a renewed mind by the power of God. And then after we have repented, after we have asked forgiveness for our sin, after we have asked Christ to come take control of the life, after we've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, after we have received the Holy Spirit of God, we won't be the same. Life won't be the same. If you are the same as you were before Christ and after Christ, maybe you don't have Christ. It's not possible. Listen, there'll be issues that the Holy Spirit wants you to deal with. And for the new Christian, the issues in your life is going to be a process because he's going to bring you through making you more and more Christ-like. And yes, it's going to be hard at first. And yes, it's going to be one domino at a time. But the dominoes will fall and God will help you through it. But for the old Christian, new Christian, or the old Christian, there are some things, man, that are immediately evident. There are some things that are just steadfast for both. There will always be conviction if you are doing the ungodly thing. Sorry. There is. Why? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't want you going in that direction. For your benefit, for your kids' benefit, for your household benefit. You can keep going on. He wants you to become more and more Christ-like, not more and more world-like. 
trying to get you out of that. So there is going to be conviction because you're going to be going, don't do that. Don't do that. You don't have to do that anymore. No, don't do that. Don't do that. That's going to hurt you. Don't do that. If we choose to do it, we're the idiots. We do choose to do it, right? We choose to touch the stove three times just to make sure it was hot. But there'll be always conviction for doing the ungodly thing. Listen, there will always be a view of people through the eyes of Christ. You're going to see more than just a person now. You're going to see a soul. They're going to have, there's going to be compassion where there wasn't any. There's going to be empathy when it didn't exist before. There's going to be this drawing to holiness, to the Bible, to know the Lord better. There's going to be this desire to share Christ with the lost. Man, if you're missing those things, maybe you're not a true follower of Jesus Christ. When Paul is writing to Tyson, Tyson, when Titus, I changed his name. I like chicken. When he's writing to Titus, he's referencing what life is like before Christ and what happens after receiving Christ. And in Titus 3.3, he says, Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. But not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the, for the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Amen. Listen, this is clear. Before becoming a child of God, it's all about our own wants, our own desires, our own selfishness. About the other trinity, me, myself and I. But with Jesus in our life, things change drastically because we stop living for ourselves or we should stop living for ourselves. Start living for Christ. Why? Because we want to. There is a desire to live for Christ. He's not kicking your door in and forcing you to live for him. There should be a desire to live for Christ. Now let me be clear that if you're just newly born again and you're learning who you are in Christ, there's going to be mistakes and God's going to be right there to help you up. But once you learn what God's word says, you've got to make decisions that are godly. That was kind of angelic. But. <laughs> Listen, your words, your choices should line up with this holy word. And your choices and decisions, when you know, are going to define where your faith is really at. It's going to find how shallow, how deep, or if you even have faith. You know, this word comes into play and sometimes it it talks about someone saying one thing and doing another. And that word is hypocrite. I guess one of the girls mentioned that. They saw hypocrisy in the church. Oh, I'm shocked. They saw hypocrisy in the church. Uh, And let me ask you, don't you agree that someone who proclaims to be born again, saved, disciples of Christ, there should be fruit in their lives that line up with righteousness? 
One person? Their decisions should line up with holiness. Wise for us to remember that someone can go through all the motions and they can say all the right things and they can work in all the ministries they want. But if they spiritually belong to the world, they're not Christian. And how do you know that? Okay, some become apparent because of lack of reverence for God. How they talk about God, how they talk about Jesus Christ. Lack of belief in God's word. Serious doubt about the power of God. Oh, you really think that can happen? You think God could heal? You think, come on! Flag, they always, they'll follow God's word when it lines up with their belief. Chastisement never crosses their mind. They're always living for themselves and their schedule. Listen, I'm hoping that doesn't apply to anyone sitting here today. But if it does, amen, because God's bringing it to light. And if it does, amen, there's hope because there's repentance. And Christ wants us back or wants us in his direction, wants us on his path. And we're blessed because he's given us his word. I mean, being Christian, we should all be in agreement that God has blessed us with his revealed will, which is the Bible, which is his word. He has given us what some refer as a love letter, has given us his holy word. It's not a set of rules and regulations just to be followed, but instructions and encouragements and warnings and spiritual principles and promises that aid us to live that spiritually abundant life he wants us to have. To live with joy in the midst of whatever we're going through. To live for the Lord despite the circumstances. Am I crazy? But if you're proclaiming Christianity and you're in opposition to the word, it doesn't make any sense to me. So what? God was wrong? That's what you're saying. Sorry. You're saying God was wrong. I'm going to do this and it'll be okay. I don't care. How does that work? Frank, you're a hypocrite if you're doing that. Just as a reminder here, I'm not talking about making mistakes. I'm not talking about making the wrong choice and realize it. I'm not talking about God got you back on the path and now you're not doing that again because you understood the stove is hot. Okay? Sometimes we have to learn lessons. Sometimes we get knocked down and get up, but we're stronger for it. Got to refine our faith. I'm talking about patterns in your life. I'm talking about what your testimony is really like. People saying, oh man, there's a brother or sister in Christ. Because you've been here for 75 years or because you're showing the fruits of the spirit. (laughs) 
Hopefully some of what I've spoken about will cause some to look at their relationship with God with an open mind to question their decisions and actions. And your decisions and actions, you know this. Do they point to you being a follower of Christ or not? And I don't bring this up to belittle anybody. I don't bring this up to pick on people. On the contrary, I bring this up because I care. And God wants it brought up. God wants it brought to the light. He doesn't want anyone to perish and to go to hell. He wants everyone to repent. And plus, I'm out of here anyways, if you get mad at me. (laughs) Wiley's laughing. He's got to drive with me. I'm going to rip his life apart all the way down. Listen, please remember, we are in a spiritual battle and you've been lied to by the enemy. And if you think you're good and you're not, you're not going to be in heaven when you die. And if you think you're good and you're not, if you really think about it and examine it, man, there's patterns in your life that you know you're not Christian. You know it. You may be afraid to deal with it, but there's no time like the presence to deal with it, to go before the Lord and repent, to ask him to become your Lord and Savior. Maybe you, through this whole thing, you're examining yourself and you have an assurance of salvation in here. And I say hallelujah to that. Praise God, right? You know that God is in your life. You know that the power of God is in your life, that his hand is moving. You know that he's answering prayers. You know that the chains of addiction are breaking. You know that the temptation, you have been able to run away from him and say no to them. You know that God has a powerful plan for you and you're on the right path. Well, I say hallelujah for that. Praise God. Listen, if that's you and you know you're a child of God, I want to encourage you to look up all the promises in the Bible for you. You don't want to miss any of them because God is not a liar. If he's making you promises, he's going to do it, man. But I want to say something and I'm going to use this verse that Ray came up with. This is her life verse and it's this Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you hope and a future. Amen. It's a great recovery verse. Everybody loves it. A lot of people pick it as their life, life verse. But we have to understand something. We've got to take this in context. We know Jeremiah was a prophet. And I'll give you the short verse because I've preached this so many times. He was a prophet used to God to speak to the people of Judah. They were at Judah. Excuse me. <laughs> You're going to miss my ERs, Judah. Okay, so they were in a bad spiritual place, i.e. sacrificing children to Moloch. That's pretty bad. Worshipping other gods, worshipping other idols. And God sends Jeremiah and tells him, stop it or you're going to pay. Stop it or you're going to suffer at the hands of your enemies. And for 40 years, they ignored the truth and many died and it happened. The Babylonians entered in, they attacked them. They get were under captivity for 70 years. No, everyone had ignored Jeremiah except one group. And it's one group who decides, I'm going to draw a line in the sand for God. We're going to choose the godly path. We're going to choose righteousness. They repented and they came to God. 
And at the end of those 70 years, 70 years, God returns them to the land. And that's the group he's making the promise to. Those who have persevered, those who have endured, those who have walked by faith, those who are following God, that's the people he's making the promise to. He's not promising the people who are doing their own thing. They died and suffered. But those who chose God have the power to endure. Those who chose God and walked in faith will return to the land. And he says to them, listen, I have a plan to prosper you, man. Now, this is for the people of Judah, okay? But today, repenting and turning back to Jesus Christ and getting on the righteous path is for us today. And there's power of that. But I want to throw something at you. Why would we think that if we're living for ourselves and doing our own thing, that we would expect God to pour out his blessings? If he says, don't do that, and we do it, you think he's going to bless you? You think he's going to prosper you? You think he's going to restore your health and vitality, as some of the verses talk about? And that's the lean not on your own understanding verse, right? Because if you're leaning on your own understanding, it's not going to happen. Think he's going to reconcile your relationships when you're doing your own thing? I'll tell you what you can expect for him to get your attention. However that looks. He's going to get your attention because he wants you back on the path so he can do all that. He wants you back on the path of righteousness with the abundance of fruit in your life, living that abundant life, walking in the power of God, serving him, honoring him and glorifying him. If you're not on that path, you can't stand on the promises. Full effectually, I guess. You know this, you're going to go to heaven when you die. No one can ever take that away from you. But man, how we live this life and what we do and how effectual we are for the kingdom. Are you submitting and committing? Or is God way down on a list? It's wise to remember that the group that chose to repent, uh, to repent, to repent, to turn back to God, Making, he, he's making the promises to them. And we should remember as proclaimed Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're expected to follow him. Talk is cheap. You know when we're going to really see talk is cheap? When the persecution gets turned up. When the fire gets turned up and the heat gets turned up. How many people are really going to go on the line with their life? We are expected to stay in his will, to make righteous decisions, to take godly action, to walk in faith, knowing his plan for us. It's also wise to remember that when we become a follower of Jesus Christ, and uh, Jessica didn't say it in second service, I was a little disappointed. She said in first service, she had one foot in and one foot out, but no longer she had two feet in. And she was all in.
Listen, when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we've accepted him as our Lord and Savior. We know the road's not smooth and the road is often rocky, but he gives us everything we need to get through. But your target on your back gets bigger because the enemy wants to come against you. You have to endure and you have to persevere and you have to draw a line for the Lord. And when those things come in your path and those things come to appeal to you, you have to scream, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not going there. I'm not compromising. You know what happens today when you do that? People get mad at you. People say you're intolerant. People say you don't love. It's not that I don't love, I don't care. I'm not getting out of the word. Sorry. I didn't think I was going to get any claps for that, Bob. That was awesome. (laughs) Amen. God is good, though, right? Listen, so I just want to be, I want to encourage you. You know, if you're if you're if you have Jesus Christ in your life and you you've got to seek the promises out, man, there's so much in there for you. And among some of the promises, here's one that's awesome. In Hebrews 13, 5, he says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. How many people sitting here have had abandonment issues? How many people sitting here have had problems with their mother or father? How many people sitting here have been into led into drugs by their mother or father? How many people have had close relationships with people who have just crushed them and hurt them? How many people you thought that you could just rely on who walked out of your life and all of a sudden they weren't there anymore? He will never leave you forsake you. With Christ in our life, we are never alone again. He is right alongside of us with the Spirit of God within us, giving us wisdom and strength. I said that, you know, just because we get saved doesn't mean life path, the life or path traveled on is not going to be rocky. The difference is this. We have the power of God. The difference of this is we have Jesus Christ right alongside of us. The difference is we have the Spirit of God living in us. The great difference is this. You have everything you, knew, you need through the blood of the Lamb to get through whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. But as in Jeremiah, we have to lay our ways down and pick up our cross. We have to rely on Jesus Christ and trust in the supernatural power of God. We have to trust that he's hearing our prayers and he's going to answer them. He has to trust that we are in the right body of Christ and we need to walk together, even as brothers and sisters who fight. Right? Amen. Amen. Man, I'll tell you what. And I'm bringing up a lot of stuff that's probably stinging some people. But I'm going to tell you this. Just like Jeremiah, they didn't want to listen to him. And you know what they did? They went to people who told them what they wanted to hear. And there's plenty of churches around here that'll tell you what you want to hear. But is it the truth? Where do you draw your line? Where do you run? To the truth. Amen. When the Apostle Paul, he was a, 
a, a great example of knowing that God was giving him everything he needed. He was a great example of trusting in the Lord no matter what happened, okay? And he, he gives this, and he talks about defending, he's defending himself with people who come up naysayers and say, you're not a real apostle. And he's defending himself and sharing by what he went through and how he suffered. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23, he says, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced dangers from rivers and robbers. I have faced dangers from my own people, the Jews as well as the Gentiles. I have faced dangers in cities and deserts and on seas. I have faced dangers from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked harder and long and enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty. I have gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And then in verse 10, he does this. He says this, 2 Corinthians 12.10. Corinthians 12.10. For when I am weak, I am strong. And he sums it up. Who wants to apply for that job? Frankly, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have applied for that job. But have you gone out on the limb? Have you allowed yourself to be led by the Holy Spirit? Are you choosing God over your own schedule? Are you choosing God over everything else? Are you recognizing the idols and giving them up and saying, Lord, use me? When you realize this last thing, he was homeless and hungry and cold and shivering and everything else. And he was beat up with 39 lashes and bleeding in the street. And I could just see somebody walking up there all prim and proper going, man, you really need to accept Christ. Man. We need to be careful because true Christianity is more than what just meets our expectations sight wise. And I've seen it in the Providence Rescue Mission and I've seen it in the streets of New Orleans. And I've seen people on our hearts are on fire for the Lord who have nothing and are barely making it. And they're only making it by the grace of God. Man, we have everything. And yet we complain about everything. Paul knows it's all up to the Lord who's fighting for him. In Philippians 4, 20, says, I know what it is, need, it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. I can do this through him who gives me strength. Amen. He understood the strength that goes on comes from Christ. The strength to make righteous decisions comes from Christ. The strength to face trials and tribulations comes from, through Christ. If we rely on him, he's going to get us through. And I'm going to share this last verse because I love this last verse. 
And Paul reiterates this to, to the Corinthian church again, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. If you think you are standing strong, be careful you not fall. Do you not fall? Temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. You realize what a promise that is for the children of God? You realize what a promise it is for those people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who battle with temptation their whole life. He is promising now that with the power of God, that temptation will not overwhelm you anymore. Maybe for the first time in your life, you'll be able to stand up in the middle of that storm when that temptation is before you and go, no, I don't have to do that anymore. And then he takes it a step further because he said he's going to provide a way out. It's God. I want to be clear about this verse, though, because when we talk about this temptation verse, we automatically go heroin, we automatically go alcohol, we automatically go meth, we automatically go drug, right? But this verse could be anything. This verse could be anything that's pulling you into the mud and away from Jesus Christ. This temptation could be you not wanting to submit to the word of God. This temptation could be you working all overtime hours and never going to church again in your life because you're choosing money. This temptation can be anything that pumps you up and talking to your pride or your ego, that anything that takes the place of Christ. It's about what's your real idol in your lives. This temptation could even be speaking about ministries if the ministries themselves are driving your desire to run them. It's not about Christ anymore. It's about good works. This temptation can be about just controlling. Listen, it doesn't matter what it is because Christ is giving you a way out now. Christ is saying that that temptation is not stronger than me. You can say no. You can change your ways. You can go in the opposite direction. You know, you want to see if you're in that controlling issue. You want to see if whatever you're involved with is just because it feels good or you're doing good works. Ask this question, can you give it up? Ask this question, is it going to fail without you? Because you're God. You get in the picture? When Christ is in your life, you're not alone. With Christ in your life, you have the strength to get through whatever it is. Christ in your life, the temptations will not overwhelm you. With Christ in your life, he's going to provide a way out. Christ in your life, you're going to have a desire to go in the righteous direction. The question is, do you have Christ in your life? Hopefully today some people have examined where they are with relationship with Jesus Christ and maybe come to a conclusion whether they actually have one or not. 
Today, I also hopefully I've encouraged some some of you who have Christ in your life and you know that you're saved and that God's moving to get into scripture and find out what God has promised for you. Hopefully it's for some they've realized that maybe their decisions and actions are getting in the way of God's plan for their life. I've often said from up here, sometimes the biggest hindrance to God's plan is us. What's important to you? And then maybe for some, they haven't asked Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. Or at minimum, they really feel like they need to recommit because they're not sure where they stand. So listen, I'm going to ask everyone right now. And I really thought Jessica was going to beat me to it earlier. I'm going to ask everyone right now to bow their heads. And if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you to follow us in this prayer. And it's not about this prayer. I say this all the time. There's no magical formula. It's about your, your words to God's ears. It's about your heart and God's ears. And I'm going to ask you, and you, can, you don't have to say it out loud. You say it to yourself. And I want to ask everyone to bow their heads just out of respect for everyone else. And if you need to accept him as your Lord and Savior, or you feel like you need to do it again and recommit because something's wrong, then do so. So repeat after me, and you can do it to yourself. And at the end, I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed for a second. So if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, repeat after me. Lord, I believe you died on the cross for the sins of the world. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Lord, I believe you rose on the third day and conquered death. Lord, I believe you shed your blood so there could be forgiveness of sin. Lord, I ask you to forgive my sin. I ask you to come into my life and to take control. Lord, I accept you as not only Savior, but Lord. Thank you for the gift of eternal salvation. Thank you for the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I love you. Thank you for loving me first. Amen. Keep your heads on. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, raise your hand. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, raise your hand. Amen. All right, you can lift your heads. Lord, we just thank you for this time together. Lord, I just thank you for these, these women who just accepted you as Lord and Savior. Praise God, because we know that you have a plan, Lord. So, Lord, I'm going to ask these women, because I know they're not shy to step up here. If you just prayed that prayer, come up here, right here. You don't have to come all the way up here, because that's scary. Right there. And listen, I'm going to ask for us to come. And I love this part of it, because as the body of Christ, let's come up and let's pray for these women right now.
Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Lord, we just thank you for these new sisters in Christ. Lord, we thank you that your word, Lord, doesn't return void, Lord, and that you've tweaked hearts here today, and we just thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the power that comes from being a child of yours, Lord, and we're looking forward to what you're going to do in their lives, Lord. Lord, we know that you're going to break the chains of addiction, Lord, because you say when the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. So, Lord, I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit right now, Lord. That you would just, Lord, they would see things through your eyes for the first time, Lord. That that compassion and that empathy and that love that you poured into them starts to overflow to those around them. Lord, you are an awesome God. We just love you. and We just thank you for eternal salvation, Lord. Help us all to submit and to commit to your way of life, Lord, and not our way of life. Lord, you are an awesome God, and we just thank you for this day. We thank you for these two ladies, Lord. And we just pray for them, Lord. We pray for their life, Lord. We rebuke the enemy. He has no place here. We rebuke him in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Praise God.